So yeah, on these Cyber Monday deals, I think I should get this 124 pack of uh, sidewalk chalk for the kids. How much is that? It's like 20 bucks. Okay. Sure. So I put it in yeah. the cart. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> Welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter 10 of the book Prince Caspian. This chapter is titled The Return of the Lion. I am the one arrow that struck Susan's helmet with a sharp ping and glanced off, also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host. That was aggressive. (laughs) Uh... I am a huge man with a shaggy beard and great bushes of hair. Great bushes of hair. Yes, also but known as Chris. Also known as a tree. Well, I'm also known as Chris. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, hello. Trees? Mm-hmm. Hello. Back to our normal, normal morning record schedule. Yes, hope everybody had an excellent Thanksgiving weekend. It was mm-hmm. a very hectic time for me at work, but I think mm-hmm. Chris got a... Uh, a nice break. It was a nice break. Hey, 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 listeners. Y'all have that good turkey? Get get back to us if you had that, that good, good turkey. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll post our Twitter address later and you can hashtag uh, TastyBird. Um, chronically Pod. <laughs> yeah, Chronically Pod. Anyway. <laughs> okay. So- we're, we're totally and fully awake. Yeah, absolutely. We're ready for this. We are so ready to record right now. Mm-hmm. I've only had three sips of coffee. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're discussing uh, the chapter called The Return of the Lion. And uh, as you thought might happen in this chapter, you, you even called it a spoiler mm-hmm. in the last discussion. In the title. Uh, it's There's a chance that Aslan might be in this chapter. There is a chance that he comes back. I mean, it's just the return of the lion. but Yeah. You know, it could be that one like sarcastic lion from... Uh... <laughs> Lion was in the wardrobe. One. Yeah. The little boundy bubbly one. Yeah. Um, so with that said though, um, let's go ahead and do our chapter summaries. Let's do it. Um, as we read through the chapters, we choose five sentences out of the chapter to try to summarize the chapter in its own words. This is our attempt to challenge ourselves in some, you know, creative effort of analysis. So, uh, Chris, why don't you go ahead and go first with your uh, summary? All right. Uh, Mine is very short, as is yours. We both had pretty punchy little summaries today. Yep. Uh, So mine's as follows. Of course, if the children had attempted a journey like this a few days ago in England, they would have been worn out. They listened intently and heard no sound of pursuit. Everyone felt quite hopeful now about finding King Caspian tomorrow and defeating Miraz in a few days. For he was there. The huge lion, shining white in the moonlight, with his huge black shadow underneath him. Go and wake the others and tell them to follow. Interesting. Okay, I feel like yours communicated a very different sense of the chapters, like emotional momentum than what I got from it because you included the sentences about them being able to do this and talking about defeating Mraz Mm -hmm. whereas like halfway through this chapter they're like they've stopped even thinking about breakfast tomorrow yeah 
But that was before they started thinking about defeating Mraz. Like, they got despair, and then they got a little hopeful. Yeah. So. Okay. I was going for. I don't know. I guess I just felt the overall tone was a lot more somber. You would. (laughs) Here's my summary. Arrows whizzed round them. They could see the specially broad and shallow place which had once been the fords of Baruna, but was now spanned by a long, many-arched bridge. There is no need to describe how they toiled back up the gorge. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. If you go back to the others now and wake them up and tell them you have seen me again and that you must all get up at once and follow me, what will happen? I almost had that one as my last sentence. Yeah. But then I felt weird about ending the summary on a question. It's like there's too much suspense there. But that's what the chapter ends with. (laughs) It's like Edmund being like, well, maybe we should wake everybody up. Maybe we should. He was very reluctant about that. (laughs) Um, So Return of the Lion, we open the chapter back up with them again venturing through the woods. A lot of venturing through the woods happens in this book. Lots Lots of trekking. All right, um, so we're opening the chapter with him wandering around the woods. Um, they find a nice gorge to wander through. And uh, and I'd also like to point out that we are two-thirds of the way through this book. Correct. And we still haven't actually introduced, like, the Pevensies to Caspian. And we are still just wandering through the woods, as you're saying. Just like... Yeah, this is this is the Fellowship of the Ring right here. <laughs> like, I thought this was the return of the Lion and King. <laughs> Uh, why Jesus got to come back in all the books, but not in real life? That's my question. <laughs> I just... I thought maybe that would tickle you. Um, um, anyway, they find a really nice gorge to wander through. Um, well, it's it's nice if you're not in a hurry. Like, if you're going there and having, like, an oh. afternoon picnic... Great Gorge. Yeah. I mean, it was not a nice place for people in a hurry. Yeah. As a direct quote. Uh Uh-huh. But but it does sound very idyllic with the rumbling waterfalls, silver cascades, deep amber-colored pools. It would be a great place for a ramble. It would be a great place for them. They're not rambling. They're trying to get somewhere. Uh, And their path to go low instead of high, and the previous chapter uh, obviously not working out for them very well because they're not really getting anywhere uh, in a hurry. And... You know, this is the point where the despair sets in and they've given up all hope of, you know, having breakfast or dinner with Caspian. They're just like, yeah, no, we're not getting there today. We're probably not going to get there before tomorrow if we get there. Um, they start getting hungry and contemplating with whether or not they're going to eat the raw bear meat. Yep. Which I can... I can Trump hope. can assure them was not going to be a pleasant time. Yeah, I can only hope that I never find myself in that particular scenario that just sounds like a bad time. Um... And then we get to the first... But it would be a good story. It would. We get to the if first... If you got to the point where you had the opportunity to eat raw bear meat, there was a story there. Usually. Sorry, go uh-huh. ahead. As we're reading. Um, and then we get to the this first, what I say is the first interesting part of the entire chapter, is we talk a little bit about how uh, the kids are already changing and changing more quickly, uh, which was one of the sentences in my summary. Uh, saying if they had attempted this journey a few days ago in England, they would have been worn out already. Yes. Um, which I thought was fun uh, and wanted to pause there briefly. Just because 
like, as far as we know, Narnia and being in Narnia isn't changing them physically. Like, they're still physically the same. As far as we know, yes. They and this are is all, just... like, a mental and spiritual thing. And it's more about them having more willpower or something. And more about having, you know, them being driven or them being more... I don't know. Throw me some ideas here. No, I, I think I think that as they remember their previous royal mantles they are coming back into that position of like mental authority and power Mm -hmm. and so i think that um i wouldn't describe it like as a spiritual change so much as like an authority change Mm -hmm. Uh, where they feel like they have like a duty and a responsibility and an authority here yeah uh, even Lucy was now, so to speak, only one third of a little girl going to boarding school for the first time, and two thirds Queen Lucy of Narnia. So is, there is a. Is that the sentence that you were uh, talking about with your? I'm sure that this book was dictated no, not, because of. Oh, not that one. We'll get there. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there's an arithmetic to this. Uh, yes. So if uh, at this point, how long have we spent in Narnia? Do we know, like, how exactly how many days they've been there? They slept on the island once. Mm-hmm. They slept by the river with Trumpkin in their bivouac, mm-hmm. and then they're going to sleep tonight. So, I'm pretty sure that they've only been there for two nights at this point in the story. Okay, so roughly every day. Um, you know, every day gets you 33% closer to being your true self back in Narnia. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, they needed three days. What were they rushing to get to Caspian? Who even knows? Um, anyway, that happens. Uh, and then they find the thing they're looking for. They find the Fords of Baruna. They have some reminiscing about a nice battle they had there at some point. Yep. Uh, <laughs> then they... For... for- Kings and queens who reigned as peacefully as they did for the Narnians, they no, fought was... a lot of battles in Narnia. Mm-hmm. Like, was that where they fought the witch? Was that at the Fords of Baruna? Because it was, it was within a day's travel of the Stone Table. Yeah. I mean, it says the Battle of Baruna, which I don't think is what it was called in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah, it but it could sound... have been called that after the fact. Yeah. I, I feel like if it was, they would have mentioned something else about it other than just being like, oh, hey, that was the Battle of Baruna. Move on. Um, but yeah, that is what they do. Kind of. <clears throat> I don't know. And then they br- have this brief moment of getting more optimistic and they're just like, oh, hooray. We, we actually found what we're looking for. Like we're going to go to quicker pace. We're actually closer. And then they start getting shot at. Yes. They get shot at. Mm-hmm. Pink. Which, uh, those are arrows. Yeah. They, you know, and them striking sounds like the sound of a woodpecker. Yeah. I've, I've never been shot at by an arrow or anything. Have you uh, ever shot an arrow? Uh, I've never shot an arrow. Oh, I have. It's mm. not an easy task. Uh, I've also, yeah, I've heard that. Uh, I've also never, like, been near a tree that an arrow struck, so I couldn't confirm the how oh. close it is to a woodpecker noise. I see. I see. Well, I mean, since you're so uninformed, why are you doing a podcast about it? <laughs> sorry. This is why we don't do an archery podcast. <laughs> The sole reason. This is the sole reason that we don't do an archery podcast because you don't know. Yeah. Uh, I was going to go into a bit about what we'd call it, but we don't have time for that. So yeah, uh, they start getting shot at. They and they took some takes them a while to realize that. 
Yeah. Uh, and then it comes back to him. Susan and like, gets hit in the helmet, which we haven't established she's wearing <laughs> until now. Well, it's a good thing she was wearing that helmet. It's a really good thing she was mm-hmm. wearing that helmet. Yep. Um, just glances off there. She almost gets, like, taken out. Uh, that would be an interesting turn for the book. It uh, would be. <laughs> it really would be. Just be like, all right, Queen Susan the Gentle is gone. Yep. And Lucy, it's your fault. <laughs> uh, that's what turns Lucy evil. Um, <laughs> and then they, you know, they get down. They start crawling away at a frantic pace. Like, they, you know, escape into the woods. Nobody's pursuing them. It was just like they got some too close to a border patrol. And I... <sighs> I don't know. It it doesn't make sense to me that like they you know they get too close to like a border patrol or like an encampment of King Morazes and they get shot at and, and they then, don't get pursued. Yeah, and yeah. then all the guys are just like, oh well, I'm sure we got them. They're fine. Yep, just let them go. Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> they are just there to keep them from approaching the town? Question yeah. mark. Like I guess so. It's like I mean, I like just... if they're worried that these are scouts, scouts. If they're worried that these are scouts of Caspian's force. Yeah then they should be worried that they're going to go back and have an attacking force behind them, you know, like... Yeah. To be fair, I mean, Mraz knows nothing about the Pevensies or who they are, That the fact that they're in Narnia. So it's not like you yeah, know, no, we're no, on the no, lookout for these kids. But, like, but. I'm saying they're on the lookout for, because they're at war with the Narnians, essentially. Yeah. I mean, there's this resistance force out there in the woods. Yeah. But the woods are scary, and we don't want to go in there. True. The woods are quite scary. Oh, um, so they get away, they don't get pursued, and then they are like, all right, not going to make any more headway today, we're going to rest, set up camp, get far enough away that they can't see a fire, I guess. Well, they also and, say they're they're going to go back the other way, mm-hmm. that they're going to have to go around the other way. Yeah. And Lucy's just like, oh, so we have to go up? And Peter's just like, you know what? Good job. That's the closest you've come to saying I told you so. Mm-hmm. Like, and she deserved an I told you so there. Mm-hmm. These kids are all still really nice to each other. Yeah. Like. <laughs> it's a kind of annoying. <laughs> like, regardless of, like, their two-thirds royal kingships, like, they they definitely should be much less... You know, kind and polite to each other. Because as we all know, adults who are involved in politics are just the, the best example of decorum. Po- yeah, they're, <laughs> they are the reason that humans are striving to be better. Yep. Because they've got such wonderful examples to follow in their leaders. Yep. Anyway. Um, so we make a fire and then we start cooking the bear meat, which at this point... Has been a you know in the danger zone for quite some time. Well, you I'm know sure. your your temperature danger zone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and I don't think I'd eat the meat at this point, but I mean I've but also it's only just been in their pockets though, so it's not like yep, just body temperature bear meat that's been you know wandering around the woods for the past six hours. It's totally fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> six hours is fine as long as there's two hours of that was part of the cooling process. Yep. I'm sure. Uh, and then we make bear meat apple dumplings, which yes. like, uh, you know, whenever I start my thing of going through and cooking recipes from Narnia. Please, please I, make sure that you include bear meat apple dumplings. Cause... I will do my best to include those if I can find bear meat. I'm sure Whole Foods carries that at certain times of the year. Have you ever 
ever tried to carry like a day's worth of food worth of apples? Because apples are not like a convenient food to carry. They're not. They're also not very calorically dense. Yes, that's also very true. So like when we talk about how many apples the kids have eaten over the last two days, like I want to know how they're transporting that mess Mm -hmm. because their pockets are full of bear meat. Yeah. Sandwich crumbs. <laughs> and like somehow that like they don't have any bags. They didn't even talk about, you know, the hat or the raincoat that they used to carry the fish with. Yeah. Like Who knows? Maybe like I don't know, Edmund's just been the pack mule this entire time and they loaded him down with apples and you know he's been barely keeping up. <laughs> um that could be our fan art for this episode. There just, you go. You know, Edmund loaded down with sacks of apples. Uh so we cook up the bear meat uh, into these fun little apple dumplings, which apparently are delicious. There you go. Who knew? Mm-hmm. But only, you know, bear meat is only that good with fruit if it's a bear that, like, lived off of honey and mm-hmm. fruit as opposed to one that lived off of meat. You know, the kind of one that would attack a little girl. <laughs> Did he just smell the apples and want the apples? Because his meat tasted like he wasn't a meat eater. Uh Apparently. I mean, this, this I think is accurate. I have I have heard this before. It's like pretty much anything that is a predator and eats other animals is, is not good eating. Um, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Like, that I agree with. But, like, also just the way that it was discussed is like, oh, yeah, this meat clearly came from a bear that didn't eat other meat. Mm-hmm. But we only have this bear meat because this bear attacked meat. Mm-hmm. Like, it attacked the party. It attacked the little girl. Like, it wanted to eat yeah. meat. Unless it was just smelling them apples. That's, uh... And Lucy's the one actually carrying all the apples right now. Yep. That's why they shouldn't have taken any. Uh, I... Before we move on, I did skip over something, because you had mentioned, uh, you know, the line I was talking about a couple days ago, uh, and I did find that. Okay. Um, so there's this line in this chapter I wanted to point out. Uh, that actually comes right after one of my summary lines. Uh, I'll just read the passage. Of course, if the children had attempted a journey like this a few days ago in England, they would have been worn out. I think I have explained before how Narnia was altering them. Yes. So this is, this (sighs) is your very distinct impression that this book was narrated and not written. Yeah, because, like, I can just too clearly picture Lewis just, like, sitting there looking out a window being like, I think I explained that before. Anyway. (laughs) And if I didn't, acknowledging it Uh, is enough to communicate to the reader. We're going to acknowledge before, or acknowledge this and move on, you know. So that, uh, I mean, that is... Narnian air. That, that is the only example in this chapter of him breaking the fourth wall. Uh, so, no, it's not. Is it not? Is no, it, so? it is okay. not. I must have blocked out the other ones. Um, anyway, so we have our little bear meat pockets. Um, then everybody kind of passes out, goes to sleep, and again, Lucy wakes up. Yes. Somebody's calling out to her. Well, before, she couldn't sleep. This this time, she has actually awoken. Because mm-hmm. the last time that she had this little tree encounter Mm -hmm. she was the one who couldn't fall asleep because she wasn't exhausted from rowing all day Mm -hmm. uh and she gets woken up and there's a lot of a lot of interesting stuff that happens over the next few pages yes um so we have the star motif appearing again yes once again stars Mm -hmm. 
where she wakes up under the Narnian moon. Which is larger than ours. Apparently. Which is larger than ours. Mm-hmm. But is the Narnian moon flat? I don't know. It wouldn't be weird if like Narnia was a flat planet with a spherical moon. It'd be weird, wouldn't it? I mean, it could just have a disc moon. Uh-huh. And if there, you know, if there are these like two astronauts on this disc moon. Hey, and- <laughs> hey, hey, now. Um, but the um, what? What other star stuff? Was there more star no, content just said, uh, or just just astronomical bodies? Um. Yeah, just mention of astronomical bodies, but it was the motif showing up again. Yes. Um, and then the Lucy a voice calls, which is neither uh, Peter's nor her father's. But it is the voice she liked most in the world. Apparently. Which like, is interesting that, like, sorry, the, voice, the voice she most likes in the world is her dad's voice and then Peter's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, apparently. Uh, do, 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 and then we, she wanders off into the woods again, which, smart idea, middle of the night, woods full of bears and who knows what, but she wanders off. Archers, you know, wandering about. And then she sees more trees. Yes. And they're, they're moving about. Yes, they are. And the trees seem more awake than they were before. True. And she doesn't even have to call to them or try to, you know, perform any magic. They're just kind of there. Yes. And they're dancing. Mm-hmm. They are clearly moving about in the earth in a very Entian way. Uh-huh. As if in a complicated country dance. Uh, but, you know, any any dance with the trees would be a country dance, so. Which, I, you know, that's like a 1950s joke that I'm too modern to understand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Because she's in the country. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, I'm, I'm sure that was much more hilarious to the listeners at the time. Um, yeah, and then that that's where my, my character for the chapter comes from. We see several of these figures. There's the guy she with the big shaggy beard. She sees them in more, in more of their full form, too. Yes. But also sees a lot more of just blank trees moving that have not assumed any part of human form. Yes. And even the ones that have are, like, not quite all the way into, like, the dryad, uh, you know, form they usually take, but they're they're kind of half tree, half man, which is you know, arguably kind of disturbing. Yep, terrifying. Um, <laughs> terrifying. Uh, just wandering around the darkness under the moonlight. Uh, but they're not the interesting thing here. The interesting thing here is this voice that's calling out to her, and she like walks through the trees, doesn't involve get involved in a line dance, which, as someone from the south, believe you me, sometimes very difficult. Uh, <laughs> To not accidentally get caught up in a line dance. It's very true. Um, but she gets through them and finds a clearing. And in that clearing, we have a lion. A lion! And mm-hmm. it's Aslan. She knows it's Aslan. She runs to him and hug tackles him. Yep. Immediately, he's standing up. Uh, I do want to point out this line that says, but for the movement of his tail, he might have been a stone lion. Yes, and this is like the third time we've had reference to a stone lion. Like, we've had we've had stone being mentioned twice in this cha- in this book, right? Uh-huh. I'm not I'm not overstating that. At on least the book one. At least once. Prior to this. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean, twice total now. Yes. Um but like stone has been a motif throughout all of the books Mm -hmm. i feel 
Well, it's, I think it's part of a larger motif of just this idea of life versus stasis, which is where the trees are coming in, where, like, you know, the trees are still and lifeless, and they're slowly waking up and beginning to dance and move again. And, like, this is kind of echoed in Aslan, who first appears, you know, at a distance kind of just there and now more close up and the first time we see him in this book he's very like still and like you know it's almost symbolic of him slowly coming back into narnia so like he's awaking yes narnia narnia aslan awake yes something like that um i think that that's interesting because i am seeing it as the reverse where it's not aslan that's being awoken but it is lucy who's being awoken to the presence of aslan because even the other kids aren't going to, like he says, they might not be able to see me. They won't certainly won't be able to see me at first. Yeah, um, I think that's worth dwelling on. We have a couple things that are, that are, I need to, I need to get a thesaurus and just look up synonyms for interesting. <laughs> uh, but it, it just, anything else just sounds too over the top. Like, what's fascinating here is, um, <laughs> but we have a couple other fascinating things to discuss first. Um, Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger. Yes. This was my one <sighs> note at the top of my paper. Cause usually I have like three or four things that I'm like, oh yeah, I want to make sure that I touch on this. Mm-hmm. That was my one. I just had one and it was Aslan is bigger because Lucy is. Yes. And he says that is because you're older little one. Yes. Does that mean that Peter... And Susan saw Aslan bigger than Lucy saw Aslan the first time? Or did they all see him as same same? Because I don't understand how Susan and Lucy could have ridden on his back to the Queen's Palace if they both perceived him to look different. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean... Yeah, I don't know. Well, that's we're, we're we're getting too much into philosophy that we don't have time for. Well, I don't think. philosophy <laughs> and perception is its own yeah. topic. Like we still have Aslan saying that he's bigger because Lucy's older. Yeah, uh, which if we're approaching this from a theological perspective, I think is kind of an interesting way of turning this idea on its head because I think a lot of the times what we see in the real world of you know people who are spiritual and have a belief in God, that the older they get, you know, God tends to get smaller. And, you know, as you're a child and you grow up believing, like, God's this big thing that's just everywhere and, like, you know, you have this very nebulous idea of of what God is. And oftentimes as people get older, spend longer in the faith, you know, especially if they go to school and study theology, um, <laughs> you know, we can fall into this trap of the idea of God becoming smaller and smaller and more confined and defined as to what exactly it is. Mm. And God being relegated more to, like, you know, a couple of people have phrased it as being a God of the gaps. Like, oh, God, wow. God fills in the gaps of your knowledge. And as you gain more knowledge, God gets smaller. Okay. That's not a phrase I've heard before, but I do like it because I feel like it does describe really well, especially especially the American idea of, of God and the way mm-hmm. that the American idea of God is taught to people who are growing up in that kind of setting. And mm-hmm. like, I definitely feel like, yeah, no, I, I like that resonates with me in a way. 
But with that said, like we now here have this presentation of Aslan as being bigger. Now, is Aslan just a representation of like faith and like the faith is bigger in Lucy now? Or is it actually like a reflection of what needs she has from Aslan as Mm -hmm. opposed to just being a comfort in war? Now she needs more Mm -hmm. because she's older and going to school and all of that. Like, yeah. What is it? What I mean, like, and we're obviously not going to be able to figure it out in this chapter because this chapter just doesn't give us enough information. We have to see kind of from the other kids' perspective what's going to happen with Aslan. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, like, I think that it's very interesting that Aslan is bigger because she's bigger. And I feel like that makes a very interesting question about Aslan in, like, The Magician's Nephew. Or Aslan in The Horse and His Boy. Uh Like how each of these characters perceive him changes over time. From Shasta seeing him as a cat. Mm -hmm. Like a a literal big cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the way to Shasta seeing him as a lion that could knock like someone off of a horse. Uh Uh-huh. All within two days. Yeah. Um... And so just kind of these characters developing their views of Aslan, but then like in The Magician's Nephew, where it's just singing lion and then you're gone. Like, and that's it. Like, there is no kind of development. Like, when Diggory comes back with the apple for Aslan, Aslan doesn't appear differently to him. Uh-huh. And so that's that's what I'm talking about. Like, different, different changes that the different characters do or don't perceive of aslan yeah that's something definitely to get into uh i am not sure if that's a consistent lore throughout the books or if it's just like whatever's convenient in the story um but yeah that'd be worth diving into more you know on our narnia after dark podcast on our patreon that we don't do um <laughs> where you'll find such things as Kristen's one set in the summary of uh, magician's nephew aslan you know, sings Singing lion, then you're done. <laughs> so it is. Um, anyway, and then Aslan speaks, and uh, I think it's important, or at least it's a thing that I've done every time, is I bring up the first line that Aslan speaks in every one of these books. Oh, have you been doing that? Yes, because okay. I, I think that that can tell us something about him. About him or about the book? Because I uh, think that there's a very thematic approach to each of these books, too. mm -hmm. And in this one, I guess both. In this one, it's very simple. His first line is, welcome, child. Yes. Which is, like, worth noting, but also, like, seems contrary to this book. Is like, this is a welcome home. Like, as, or a welcome back, as opposed to, like, a welcome for the first time. Which is kind of what we started with in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh-huh. So we have a very different, like, this isn't just welcome. Like, this is welcome back. Yeah. Um, and then Aslan is just like, hey, don't have a lot of time. Sit down and listen. Uh, and then Lucy gets a little sassy about the others. And Aslan gets a little pissed off. Like, he... Uh, 
like it's kind of a scary moment here uh where lucy is like starts complaining and it's just like i saw you up on the ridge all right they wouldn't believe me they're also and then from somewhere deep inside aslan's body there came the faintest suggestion of a growl yes and she knows his moods (laughs) Uh uh-huh and so she immediately apologizes for talking ill about the others Uh uh-huh but he still tells her basically that she should have just followed him alone that she yeah. she didn't need the others. That she should have followed him. Which yeah, that's, that's which I find to be like a really powerful statement because there are a lot of times when people are like, I think that this is what I'm supposed to do, mm-hmm. but also nobody else agrees with me, so I'm just gonna go along with what they said. Don't go along with the group. And this is very much Aslan being like, you knew you were supposed to follow me, and you didn't. Mm-hmm. And she's like. But everybody else, and he goes, that doesn't matter. Who cares? Like, if all your you, friends jumped off a bridge, would you? You should have followed me. Yeah. Uh, I do, like, for some levity, I do want to juxtapose this image in here of, you know, just comparing this one-one with the Jesus metaphor. Just, like, imagine going and have a conversation with Jesus, and you start complaining about something, and he just slowly picks his hand up and acts like he's going to smack you across the face. <laughs> you you want to keep going? That's uh, a, that was a funny image. I to think me. it's a facial expression, like <laughs> more so than a smack. But yeah, like that you you know my facial expression when I'm like, stop making that comment. You know, like I see it multiple times a day. Um, <laughs> that's a thing. Um, and then we have uh, this conversation, very brief, between Lucy and Aslan, where, as you said, Aslan is like, "Hey, why didn't you follow me anyway?" Which do you think that implies, well, I mean, this is, I guess, part of what I could get into in, in my baseless speculation, but is this implying that, like, Lucy is the most important one here? Lucy is the one that was actually summoned and yes. everybody else happened to yeah. be with her? He's just like, cool, if the others join you, whatever, but you should have come. I don't know. I mean, and, like, I think that there's, I I would say yes, but then we also have to weigh into it the fact that Aslan says the others might not be able to see him at first. Yes. And in the last sentence in this chapter, Aslan is standing there and Edmund can't see him. Mm -hmm. So with those two facts in play, is Lucy necessary to the saving of Narnia or is Lucy necessary to actually translating for... The people who are there to save Narnia. Like, is Lucy the 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 tool that's communicating? Like, is Lucy just there to communicate the saviors to Narnia? Like, is, is Lucy functioning like the wardrobe functioned in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe of getting the kids there to save Narnia and be kings and queens? Is Lucy the one who's communicating the presence of Aslan to the others in order to lead them to where they can save Narnia? Like, is she the wardrobe, basically, in this in this story? Mm-hmm. Um, trying to get Peter to be, go be the savior and summon High King Peter from the great past to come save. And, like, he can't do it without Lucy as the instrument to communicate Aslan's presence and will. Like, it, is Lucy the Holy Spirit? Like, what you've brought up in the past. Like, is Lucy here as just the intermediary between Aslan and the others? Mm-hmm. 
because the others aren't going to be able to see him. Like, Mm -hmm. Edmund doesn't see him, at least. Yeah. And he says the others won't, certainly won't be able to see him at first. Mm Mm-hmm. What is the role that Lucy's filling here? Like... Yeah, um... I mean, that's a level of depth and nuance to the storyline and the characters that I'm not sure Lewis is capable of putting into these books. I mean, if he but is, I feel though. like you've already <laughs> pointed out Lucy as yes. the Holy Spirit with her summoning to the trees. Uh-huh. So, like, you have already had this kind of image of her. Yes, and you're, you're trying to change my opinion of him as a writer. But... Because <laughs> <laughs> this is all, like, really, really good stuff, if that's intentional. Which I think um, that it very much can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, we could we could talk forever about that. I mean, let's finish off this interaction here and okay. see if there's any more. Um, yeah, there's a lot more I want to talk about in this interaction with Aslan saying, like, and, and Lucy asking, is it my fault? Like, it's not my fault that they didn't follow. Mm-hmm. And he just says, basically, yeah, it's your fault. Mm-hmm. You should have come, and whatever would have happened would have happened. But y- it's your fault that that you didn't come and they didn't follow. You didn't convince. There's a certain amount where it feels like he's saying it's your fault that they didn't that you couldn't convince them. Uh huh. Which... Like, and I don't think that that's fully the intention because I think it is. It's your fault you didn't follow me and come with me uh-huh. when I said so, and that would have been a very different interaction with your brothers and sisters if you had just said, no, nah, I'm going after Aslan, period. Mm-hmm. Like, at least her and Edmund probably would have ended up there if, if they split the party. Mm-hmm. But, like, either way, I think that it's it's it can very easily skew towards saying, Lucy, it's your fault the others went the wrong way. Yeah. And that's a really hard line to walk of nuance with kids and authority figures and, like, spirituality and all of this. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, no, it's your fault the other people did something wrong or sinned or didn't listen or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. you failed. Yeah. Like, ooh, you wasted time. They wasted time because you couldn't convince them. Like, mm-hmm. it's a it's a really hard... I, I feel like I feel like that was um, poorly communicated through the book, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, something you didn't point out there was, you know, she's going through this crisis of, you know, what should I have done, et cetera, et cetera, what would have happened? And Aslan says, to know what would have happened, no, nobody has ever told that. Yeah, but that that's, that's just it. like nobody's told somebody else's story. But like, yeah, that, I mean, that's another recurring theme there. But like, he, you can just keep beating yourself up over what would have happened. But like, he's just saying, no, it's your fault that you've wasted time. Like, mm-hmm. anything, and that and that leads to the kind of questions of like, what would have happened? Like, and then you have anxiety disorders develop over time. <laughs> like. This is, this is our problem. Uh, and then Aslan challenges her. And it's just like, well, you can find out what will happen. What if you go back now and do this? What will happen? Only one way of finding out. Yep. Do it. Um, and then we, we need to also pause here. Because we brought this up a couple times, but it, it bears further investigating. Um, where Lucy says, will the others see you too? And Aslan says, certainly not at first. Later on, it depends. Yep. So what, you know, 
what is the curtain that's over this window here? Like, is this, because it doesn't seem like it's an age thing because we had this conversation earlier about Lucy being older and thus Aslan is bigger. So it's not like, oh, the older you get, the harder it is to see Aslan for what he is. So it's not age for them necessarily. What do you think it's pre would prevent them from seeing him? Also, Edmund's only like a year older than Lucy is. Yeah. It's... I, I, I want to say that it's like the education and the logic and the what are mm -hmm. they teaching, you know, don't they these, teach you logic in schools? What are they teaching these kids? <laughs> but like, we also don't know. Like, it, it's... We don't know what each individual character has undergone and, like, what each individual character's connection with Aslan is. Like, mm -hmm. Lucy seems to have a much more intimate relationship with Aslan than the others did. Like, mm -hmm. Lucy and Susan were there at his death. Edmund was, was like, the one that Aslan sacrificed himself for. Mm -hmm. So, like, each of them has a different connection to Aslan. And I feel like... The older two have less of an intimate connection with him. Like, uh -huh. Lucy, Lucy feels like, you know, he saved her friend, Tumnus, and, like, all of these things where she has this connection, she wants to go save Tumnus, and she gets to go and see Aslan save Tumnus. Mm -hmm. Like, Edmund is the one who betrayed everybody and then was Aslan was sacrificed for. So like I f and I feel like there's just like this different level of intimacy for the younger two with Aslan than there is with the older two. Mm -hmm. But regardless, I don't know if this is one of those like childlike faith type situations where it's like, oh, like they're all jaded by the world and stuff like that or if it's just like a remembering Narnia type thing. Like, they've had more of their life in England to muddle their memory of their life in Narnia or something. I don't know. Yeah. Or could this be something to do with Aslan being transfigured? Where, you know, if we're going with the Jesus metaphor, like, Jesus in life, you know, just this dude who was out there, like, doing miracles and, like, talking to people and everything, and, like, he was very much a guy that was there in the world. This and then, guy. This guy. And then he dies and is resurrected, and then when he comes back, he's been transfigured, and only the people that were really close to him see him. Well, and even then, like, when we have these moments with the women seeing him at the Jesus, the women seeing Jesus at the grave mm -hmm. they don't think that it's him he looks different yeah and then when he presents himself to his disciples even then standing in front of him he still has one of them say that he has to you know come and touch him yeah doubting thomas yeah and like is that like is that the moment? Like, is this the moment that we're encountering where, like, G like Aslan is walking through the wall into the room with the kids? Yeah. I don't know. I Like, I don't know. And I don't know if Lewis is intending to, to be this heavy-handed <laughs> with the metaphor. Like, is that the intention? Uh-huh. Because we know Lewis would never be heavy-handed. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot we could get into there, uh. I think we'll bring this more up as we get further into the book and maybe see more of what Aslan's doing. Uh, we can definitely touch on this further, but I do think we probably should move on here. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, because there's another thing I really want to talk about. <laughs> okay. Because and this is th- this is a dense three pages. Like yeah. there's so much here to talk about in in this three pages. Uh, but this I think was my last one. Um, Lucy buried her head in his mane to hide from his face. Uh, which interesting. But there must have been magic in his mane. She could feel lion's strength going into her. Quite suddenly, she sat up. I'm sorry, Aslan, she said. I'm ready now. Now you are a lioness, said Aslan. Mm. So there's, you know, this very transformative moment for Lucy here. And, like, this is also, again, something that's throwing, you know, full fuel to the fire of my whole Lucy's the Holy Spirit thing. Yeah. Like, there is very much directly something of Aslan and Lucy. Like, they are now somehow the same type of entity, Mm. is what this is saying here. That's... That's powerful, and that's something I absolutely 100% missed in the reading. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Okay, we're going to come back. We're going to keep <laughs> coming back to this Holy Spirit thing. Uh-huh. In the last section, she goes back and tries to wake up everybody. Mm-hmm. She can't wake up Peter. She wakes up Susan, and or no, she wakes up Peter, and he goes, oh, yes, very good, and okay, cool, it's Aslan, and rolls over and goes back to sleep. Mm-hmm. She wakes up Susan, and Susan is like very adults grown up you're you're just dreaming Mm -hmm. and she wakes up edmund which took much more effort than either of the other two and he's just like i do wish you would stop saying things Mm -hmm. but um i might as well wake up the others but also acknowledges that he doesn't see aslan as lucy says he's standing right over there Mm -hmm. and edmund still says let's wake up the others Mm -hmm. which i think is a very powerful moment for edmund well again he's just like like, why don't believe why don't we believe her like edmund is like you know fully aware that he ate crow before and is like not wanting to repeat this is that a southern expression no it's a very old expression eating crow is like you know what this is (laughs) occasionally there are just expressions that creston isn't familiar with we encounter in this podcast but yes that's a very old saying okay um and he doesn't you know, want to be wrong again. Yeah, so. but I think that I think that there's also something else to be said for that, where it's just not, he doesn't just want to not be oh, wrong yeah. again, mm-hmm. but he actually genuinely perceives Lucy as someone that is more trustworthy and, like, he will trust her word, period. Like, yeah. and... Well, she's never lied. She's like, so she's never, like, fabricated anything in this. Yes, but the other two have known her just as long. Uh-huh. have known her honesty just as long mm-hmm. and are still jaded towards perceiving what she has to say as not worth investing in. Well, because they're practically adults and, you know, who listens to kids, which, you know, this is kind of a non sequitur, but it's an interesting perspective shift, I think, where we have Lucy, who's nine in the story, yeah. nine, ten years old, yeah. and, like, Susan's 13, 14, something like that. And, like, Lucy as a nine-year-old is looking at 13-year-old Susan and being, like, stop being so adult and acting so adult. And, like, you know, yeah. Uh, and, I mean, when you were nine years old, did you, did you look at 13, 14-year-olds as grown-ups? Um, I looked at them in a very, like, high schoolers were very cool to me. <laughs> but, like, I didn't look at them as, like, 
authority figures Mm -hmm. but also like i was the daughter of an authority figure and was like i am the bearer of the rules kind of thing so i Uh i didn't have a normal childhood when it came to interacting with kids that were older than me because all of my interaction with kids that were older than me was all at church but um (laughs) yeah uh uh yeah i think that you know in that time frame like a three to four year age difference is kind of a big deal because like yeah, I mean, like, my brother and I are six years apart in age, so almost the the Lucy to Peter age gap, slightly larger. Yeah. But I never looked at my brother as, like, you're so adult. Uh-huh. Like, my brother was, like, a, a, a guide, not, not a, cor- like, corrector. Um, yeah, uh, so it, it is, it is trying really it's interesting just to see the <laughs> uh the perspective difference and how that changes and what i want out of this and this is my steve voice what i what i want this to turn into and where i want these books to go is it would be cooler i think if you had the seven book series or whatever if you want to do your prequel magicians nephew in your six book series just following the pevensies mm-hmm and if it was just them and them changing and getting older and the t- development of their characters over the books, I think that could tell us a lot more about the world as a whole rather than, con- I don't know. There's something we said for constantly switching perspectives, but also from a sing- single perspective changing and evolving over time. And that's not something we ever get here. But which in I think- original writing order, uh-huh. we had this was book two. Mm-hmm. And so we went from Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe introducing all of these characters to this is the next major development for all of these characters. Yeah. And then the other books were written after the arc of the Pevensies. Mm-hmm. So they fall around the arc of the Pevensies in the order we're reading them, which is internal chronology, as opposed to the original writing order, which is to follow the Pevensies. Yeah. And their story, and then going back and getting more information about Narnia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. Uh, so in this, do we think that Lucy is becoming the Holy Spirit, or do we think that she's just becoming a priest? Because of, of I the like the order of Melchizedek. I like uh, Lucy as like a high priestess in this story, where she is a lioness. You know, like mm-hmm. I don't know. Is she a prophet? She's you know? uh, she's very much the Luna Lovegood character to me of this. <laughs> like, I've always, like, seen Luna Lovegood in the Harry Potter's books as, like, a priest and a guidance and a leader, like, in spiritual matters mm-hmm. um, in a very different way that, like, anyway, whatever, sorry. I'm, mean, like, incorporating other books now and getting all crazy. Oh, we, we, so we never do that. We're all <laughs> over on time, so we should go ahead and continue well, into our last two yeah. segments. Well, this is our last segment. I'll, I'll be honest. I really don't have much of a baseless speculation here. Okay. Like, there's something that I, like, I could do it just to fill time, which I just, I don't want to do. We don't need to do. Um, I'm just prefacing the fact that I don't really have one. And, like, it's a natural progression of getting further into the book and having more of the plot lines tightened and closed, that there's just less direction for me to go. Mm-hmm. Like, I did have my whole thing I wanted to go into about how, like, Trumpkin's actually been paid off by Mraz and he's misleading them intentionally. Whoa. But, like, that that doesn't really jive with, you know, Caspian's commission of him and, like, the way that he shows up to meet the Pevensies. So, like, there's 
there there's less and less things that I can make a coherent narrative out of. True. True. Um, and I covered a lot of it. I covered a lot of like my continued support for the idea of Lucy being the Holy Spirit in this chapter too, and I think we kind of peppered it in. What uh, about what about uh, Peter not remembering? Peter's still a useless character in this book. Um, <laughs> he's done he's done nothing remotely useful or interesting for like three chapters now, except to get them lost. True. Like, <laughs> like it's it's really not his story. Like he had his story. He had Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe, where he got to like swing a sword at a wolf, and he like got crowned and like all this stuff. It was Peter, Peter, Peter. Uh, so in this book, we get more of a focus on the other kids, which I think is good. How upset um, are you going to be in the end of this book if it's like him who gets to defeat Mraz and not Caspian? Well, it should be Lucy. Lucy just come up and like take the dagger out and shank him in the back. Just pull an Arya. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, we can go ahead and get into our rewrites then. All right. Absolutely. Which, if you want to go first. Sure. Since you didn't, went second. With in the, the summaries? Yes. Yeah. That's that's how we usually do it. That's how we do. Okay. Go ahead. So I'm going to go ahead and do my rewrite. In this section, we each have, uh, as we read through the chapter, pulled out five sentences in an attempt to make a new story out of the existing sentences from this chapter. So this is another creative challenge for us in order to actually get us working with storytelling. So with that said, um, here's my rewrite. Mm-hmm. Lucy woke out of the deepest sleep you can imagine with the feeling that the voice she liked best in the world had been calling her name. I do wish you wouldn't keep on seeing things. So they came back out again and decided to go round the fir wood. She was almost among them now. But it wasn't my fault anyway, was it? Uh, so interesting. Where, where are you going with that? Because I, I thought I, I had a direction for you, but your last couple of sentences threw me off. Yeah, well, I was struggling because I started out in a direction of, like, Lucy has accidentally led to the downfall of others, which is her waking out of this deepest sleep, and then them, like, her seeing things, and them going around the wood, and her being among the trees, mm-hmm. and then something was or wasn't her fault. So that's okay. the progression, like, where something happened... That was the fault of Lucy. And I wanted to build the story around that moment because like that moment just needed more picking apart, needed more interpretation, needed more development for me because that that moment of Lucy being like, but was it my fault? Uh-huh. Like that was a story moment that I need more story to, like uh-huh. if that makes sense. Yeah. And so I wanted to have more story around that idea so that maybe I could do a little meaning making on it. And I just, I still felt like it fell short. I gotcha. Um, cool. So I went a little bit more of a silly direction with it. Uh, I'm I go- wanted to do a silly <laughs> direction and I couldn't make it work. Uh, so before I do this one, I'm going to throw a disclaimer out there uh, for anybody who's listening with younger children. Um, first of all, Shame on you. This is a terrible show. Second, <laughs> we're a bad influence. Uh, but but this is a this is a PG thirteen rated rewrite. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean it's it's just sentences out of the book, so it's not like I'm going to curse or anything. But uh, here here's my silly take on this chapter. Lucy looked very hard at the trees of that glade. 
They were surprised to see how high they had already got. It may not have been sensible of them to feel like this, but they did. They were already getting their second wind, and the word supper had a wonderful effect. And then, oh joy. story about them getting high in PG-13, but whatever. Like, So, that's my take. I just saw that one line of uh, they were surprised to see how high they had already gotten and decided to run with that. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> Trees? Yeah. Alright, well. Another, another tree-themed rewrite for me, hi. Hey? It's, it's, a, it's a motif. Yes, it is. Alright, well, if you have nothing else to touch on, we can go ahead and wrap this up. Yeah, I'm good, I think. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been our podcast on Chapter 10, The Return of the Lion. And next week we will be discussing Chapter 11 of Prince Caspian, The Lion Roars. So apparently something's going to happen in that. Mm -hmm. Um, I have some fun artwork for the cover of that one. Oh, dear. Yeah, like the, the artwork in the book. Mm. you'll see it it'll be in your book but my actual like chapter header one is fun yeah i'll post that on the instagram go ahead (laughs) um so thank you so much for joining us today if you are interested in joining the conversation with us and discussing whether or not lucy is the holy spirit you can do so at chronically podcast on facebook and instagram and at chronically pod on twitter or you can email us your fan art of the narnian disc moon at mm-hmm. chronically podcast at gmail.com and um this has been our discussion of this chapter and it was a good time uh-huh. you can also uh give us money at patreon.com slash chronically podcast if that's something that you feel like you need to do with your life and your money and your earnings um never mock a man Save when he is stronger than you. Then as you please. And don't forget to cook your pocket meat within four hours of harvesting it. (laughs) Food safety guidelines. Bye. Talking about a Christian book series, we can mention Jesus in the podcast. Yes, mentioning Jesus and taunting. Yeah. <laughs> not taunting anybody. You're taunting. You're not allowed to mention the fact that we're doing a record on Monday. No. Okay. No. <laughs> it's transparency in the podcast, but that nobody asked for. <laughs> and. Uh... I forgot to look up something to introduce myself as. Mm-hmm. As did I. <laughs> We're really prepared, aren't we? I need to. I need to get a thesaurus and just look up synonyms for interesting. <laughs> uh, but it, it just, anything else just sounds too over the top. Like what's fascinating here is. I'm waiting for you to talk. I'm just letting you talk. No, I've been, I've repeated myself three times. That means you need to freaking talk. So, 
We have the Disk Moon in Narnia. If there are these two, if there are these two astronauts up there on Narnia's Disk Moon, and one of them like pushed the other one off the edge, you're pretty messed up, right? Yeah. <laughs> 